Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. On today's episode, we examine the questioning of four witnesses related to the forensic examination of key pieces of evidence in the case. The witnesses are Ann Kistler-Rao, Jesse Worley, Brian Leppard, and Dr. Edmund Donahue. We'll be back with our examination of each of their testimonies right after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. On November 15, 2021, Prosecutor Paul Camarillo calls Ann Kistler-Rao to the stand. Kistler-Rao is a microanalyst at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and was assigned to examine fibers taken off defendant William Bryan's Silverado pickup truck. The state argues that these fibers are from Ahmaud Arbery's clothing and offers them as evidence that Bryan's use of his truck constituted an aggravated assault on Mr. Arbery. In the fiber analysis that you did for this case, were you given a, a potential um, sample of fiber to look at? I was. Okay. And you can, can you tell the jurors what came into your office um, and where they came from and what you did to compare the fibers that came through and then your results. Okay. Um, so what was submitted to me was what's called a tape lift. So it's where you take a piece of tape to collect fibers on the item and um, that will collect any fiber on the surface of the item. It was submitted by a police department. And um, then I also received a white t-shirt which was submitted by our medical examiner's office. And I compared the question fibers, 20, I took a sampling of the question fibers from the tape lift. Um, I compared 20 of these fibers to the known fibers of the t-shirt. I found that they were consistent in microscopic properties and fluorescence. These were white cotton fibers, so I did not go on to the next step in the procedure because they were not dyed and they were a natural fiber. And I found that the question fibers were consistent with the known fibers composing the t-shirt. So I could not eliminate these fibers as coming from the t-shirt. Um, I reached this conclusion because white cotton fibers are a common fiber type and they are prevalent and they do have limited features for comparison. However, they were consistent. So when you say cannot be eliminated as having come from the t-shirt, does that mean that they definitively came from the t-shirt I cannot say that they definitively came from the t-shirt. There could be another source possessing fibers that were, would also be indistinguishable from these. But they were similar in characteristics. They were consistent in all of their microscopic properties as well as their fluorescence. Do you know where 
where this take lift came from in terms of evidentiary chain of custody and that sort of thing? It was identified to us as having come being taken off of a truck. As Prosecutor Camarillo concludes his questioning of Kissler Rao, William Bryan's attorney, Kevin Goff, rises to question the witness. A moment ago, did I hear you tell the jury that, excuse me, that you, you can't say definitely that the cotton fibers came from the shirt attributed to Mr. Arbery? That's correct. But your report doesn't say, that's not the words in your report, are they? I reported out that I could not eliminate these fibers as having come from the shirt. Okay. Well, would you not agree there's a huge chasm between the words in your report about you can't eliminate the possibility that the fibers came from the shirt to today when you say that you can't say definitively that they did come from the shirt, those are conclusions in two completely opposite directions, aren't they? Well, no. So I can't eliminate those as having come from the shirt. That is also true that I can't say they absolutely did come from the shirt. Those are not exclusionary of each other. Logically, they're, they're not, but they, but they certainly convey different ideas, don't they? Um, I ho hope that I have conveyed properly the idea that I cannot eliminate these. And, of course, you examined fibers that were identified as having come from the driver's side of truck, correct? Yes, that is what they were identified to us. You were not asked to examine or compare any fibers recovered from either the front or the back of that truck. To my knowledge, no other fibers were recovered. Okay. Now, sheet metal is a smoother surface? That's correct. I believe that's what you were referring to earlier? Yes. What about grills? Are they all smooth? Um, they have a smooth surface. Potentially things could get caught in areas of a grill. Hood ornaments, also not smooth? They do have some sharper edges. Bumpers have sharper edges? Again, depending on the area. Back bumpers have sharper edges? They can. Okay. So in the end, I think, if correct me if I'm wrong, what, you, what you've told the jury, essentially, stripped of everything else, is that these fibers may or may not have come from Mr. Arbery's shirt. They are consistent in all their properties. They could have come from this shirt, but they also could have come from another source possessing fibers of the same characteristics. All right. Thank you, ma'am. No further questions. After Kistler Rao concludes her testimony, Georgia Bureau of Investigation Crime Lab scientist Jesse Worley takes the stand. Under questioning by Prosecutor Larissa Olivier, Worley testifies regarding her analysis of a series of cards with potential hand and fingerprints on them. These prints were taken from the side panel of defendant William Bryan's Silverado pickup truck. What items did you use to do your comparison in this case? Uh, the latent prints that I was asked to examine were on um, evidence that was labeled as item 21 in the, the GBI crime lab um, information system. Um, I itemized them to be 21A, 21B, 21C, and 21D. So those were all latent lift cards that okay. were submitted. Okay. Looking at those lifts for 21A and 21B, what, if anything, did you see in those? 
Um, so on both item 21A and 21B, my visual examination result is that these items were positive for latent prints. Um, I also noted that they appeared to be duplicate lifts of the same latent print. So we have essentially A and B are the same print. Yes. Okay. Worley then testifies about the known print cards that she was given to compare to prints that were taken from the truck. When Ms. Worley references Amy Elrod, she is referring to William Bryan's fiance, who would have had occasion to frequently enter Bryan's truck. And then I was given known finger and palm print cards uh, bearing the name Amy Eileen Elrod and William Roderick Bryan Jr. Okay, and did you also um, use known prints of Ahmad Arbery? Yes, they appear as item 24. Okay. Again, the state argues that the prints on the truck were made by Ahmad Arbery when Brian's truck made contact with Mr. Arbery, and Prosecutor Olivier offers them as evidence that Brian's use of his truck constituted an aggravated assault on Mr. Arbery. Now, go ahead and just tell the jurors your findings for uh, 21A. So, I completed an analysis of the latent print that was on 21A. Um, I determined that the print appeared to be from the right palm of an individual and that there was sufficient detail present to determine it to be suitable for comparison. Um, at that point, I began the comparison process by comparing the latent print to the palm print cards for Amy Eileen Elrod and William Roderick Bryan Jr. And my conclusion for both of those comparisons is that no identification was made. All right. What did you do next, if anything? Um, at that point, I compared the latent print from 21A, which again is that palm print, um, to the palm print cards that bearing the name Ahmad Marquez Arbery, and was able to make an identification to that set of records. Okay. So identified to Ahmad Arbery. Yes. Okay. After Prosecutor Olivier concludes her questioning, Travis McMichael's attorney, Jason Sheffield, questions Ms. Worley. Were you given any photographs to come along with items 21 A, B, C, and D? No. Or is it true that you're not sure where that latent palm print came from on the item, other than it came from a truck, but you're not sure where on the truck it came from? That's correct. Okay. Um, we, we, uh, describe our evidence based on what's labeled on the lift card specifically. Right. In this case, they were simply labeled as being from William Bryan's truck. Got it. The state also calls forensic science witnesses to testify about the gunshots that killed Ahmaud Arbery. First, Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski calls Brian Leopard, forensic firearms and toolmark examiner at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Dunikowski seeks Mr. Leopard's testimony regarding the distance from which Mr. Arbery was shot. Now, I believe you testified that you were asked to do a muzzle to target distance analysis. Correct. All right. And did you in fact do that? I did. All right. So what was submitted to you so that you could do this analysis? Uh, there was some clothing from the victim. Where, where did you have the clothing came from? Who? The uh, clothing was submitted uh, by the, uh, from the Coastal Regional Medical Examiner's Office. All right. And did you also have the opportunity to review State's Exhibit 190, the video of the homicide in this case? Yes, I did. Did you also have the opportunity to review State's Exhibit 314, the frame-by-frame -frame images from 
States 190, the video. I reviewed those, yes. And did you also have the opportunity to review some crime scene photos of Mr. Arbery, Mr. Arbery's body? Yes. And once you did that, what did you do to perform your muzzle-to-target distance analysis? So I looked at the clothing that was submitted uh, specifically. There was a white t-shirt that I examined. Uh, I examined, uh, made notes, took measurements, um, photographs of, of that shirt and looked at uh, specifically the entry holes in the shirt. Um, I tested some particles chemically to determine the presence of uh, fired ammunition or fired gunpowder chemicals, if you will. Um, I looked at those, I also looked at, we spoke about the photos, looking at where that stuff was assimilated to the, the defects, the, the gunshot holes of entry and exit on the body. Um, and I made my analysis based off of that. And what was your conclusion? Uh, my conclusion was that the areas on the shirt, the defects on the front of the shirt, um, I don't know the, the state's exhibit number but that you mentioned, uh, but it was Mr. Aubrey's shirt, uh, was microscopic examined and chemically processed for the presence of gunshot residues. The examination revealed the presence of gunshot residues and a physical characteristics consistent with contact or near contact gunshot, gunshot holes of entry. Okay, so we've got contact or near contact gunshot holes of entry, is that right? Yes. Okay. Are you able to say, based on just the fabric that you looked at in the photo of 406, whether this shotgun was pressed up underneath his arm or here or here? I mean, is it easy to say or hard to say? Uh, just by looking at the photo, I mean, I would, I would say, like I said, it's, it's contact or near contact. There's a little variation there, but it has to be pretty close for that to happen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Travis McMichael's attorney, Bob Rubin, then cross-examines Mr. Leopard. While the state argues that McMichael shot Mr. Arbery as Arbery was approaching McMichael, Rubin asserts that Mr. Arbery had already grabbed McMichael's shotgun, and McMichael only fired after pulling it back from Mr. Arbery's grasp. It wasn't until a year later that you were asked to examine the T-shirt, right? Uh, that was in 2021, yes. 2021. Who asked you to examine the t-shirt? Uh, that was at the request of the Cobb County DA's office. The people at this table? Yes. Their office? Their office, yes. Not the medical examiner, right? Correct. Not GBI agent in charge, Richard Dial? Uh, right? Not at that timeline, no. Okay. Um, so at that time, you were asked to determine the muzzle, the muzzle to target distance because it had not been determined yet. Correct. Okay. 
I'm not going to say fingerprints weren't done, but they would have been done before me, so that, that would have been taken care of before I got the shotgun. And you were not made aware of any fingerprint results as, uh, from an examination of that shotgun? There, not, there are none that I know of. There could have been, but there, I'm not aware of any. Okay. Um, based on your um, analysis of the shirt that you received from the medical examiner's office, um, the shotgun was clearly within arm's reach of whoever, Mr. Arbery in this case, was on the receiving end of a shotgun blast. Objection calls for speculation as to whether that shotgun was within arm's reach. I don't think it does, based on his testimony. Can you answer that question without speculating? Uh, I mean, I think it's reasonable to say that if the, if the end of the shotgun can touch your shirt, if, if you are the victim, then it would be reasonable to think that you can also grab the shotgun. Is that answering your question? It sure does. Thank yes. you, sir. That's all I had, Your Honor. The fourth of the state's forensic science witnesses is Edmund Donahue, a forensic pathologist and regional medical examiner for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Prosecutor Donikowski asks Dr. Donahue to explain the evolution of his opinion about the distance from which Mr. Arbery was shot by Travis McMichael. Did you develop and put in your report any opinion about the muzzle to target distance, meaning how far the muzzle was away from Mr. Arbery's body? Uh, no, I did not. Did you eventually provide, at some point in time, after your initial report, an opinion about how far you thought the muzzle was from Mr. Arbery? Uh, I did. How did that come about? Well, the, uh, the defense attorney scheduled a uh, Zoom video conference with me, and that question came up during the Zoom video conference. What did they ask you to do? They asked me to uh, estimate the muzzle to uh, target uh, uh, distance. And at the time, prior to having the video or the frame-by-frame -frame still shots, what was your opinion about the muzzle to target distance? That it was about three to four feet. At some point in time, did you inform the defense and the state about your opinion of the muzzle to target being three to four feet? I, I did. Okay. And moving forward, did it come to your attention that the state had requested Brian Leppard to do a muzzle to target analysis based on the t-shirt and his, and his field of expertise in firearms? Yes. Okay. And once he had rendered his opinion, what happened next? Well, uh, I got an email from uh, Laura Hogue uh, pointing out that Mr. Leppard had rendered an opinion that uh, the gunshot wounds were contact or near contact and uh, asking me if I would like to take that into consideration in forming my opinion about the range of fire. And did you decide to do that? <clears throat> I did. Okay. And given that Brian Leopard's opinion now differed from yours, did you then look at the video in the frame by frames? I did. Okay. Having then looked at the video and the frame by frame, did you um, come up with a different opinion based on those things? Yes. And we're talking about the torso gunshot wound. What was your revised opinion, having now seen the video, as to the muzzle to target distance for this particular gunshot wound? Uh, 20 inches to three inches. 
Prosecutor Donikowski then asks Dr. Donahue about the sequence of the three shots fired by Travis McMichael. Originally, when you gave your report, you weren't able to say any sequence of shots. That's correct. Almost never can a forensic pathologist tell the sequence of shots from the examination of the body. But in this case, we have video. Yes. All right. And were you also able to view some crime scene photos as well? I was. Going down this path where you're revising your opinion based on this evidence you've been presented, the video and the frame-by-frame -frame crime scene photos, did you then formulate an opinion on the sequence of shots? I, I did. All right. Tell us what that opinion was. Well, it was my opinion that the shot to the center of the chest and the grazing gunshot wound of the wrist occurred at the same time, meaning that the hand was in front of the chest and was struck first and then it entered the body. It was my opinion that the second shot was a complete miss and did not enter any part of the body and that the third shot involved the left chest and axilla. Prosecutor Donikowski next directs Dr. Donahue's attention to evidence that she suggests indicates that Mr. Arbery was shot while reaching for the shotgun. What is it that we've got going on like right here? I think that is blood coming from the wound in the wrist. Arterial spur? Yes. Finally, Donikowski directs the witness to evidence that supports the state's contention that Mr. Arbery was neither armed nor in possession of any stolen property. Dr. Donahue, um, during the autopsy, what personal items were found in Mr. Arbery's clothing, if any? Uh, no personal items were found. No, no phone, no wallet, no weapons. Nothing? Nothing. When Bob Rubin cross-examines Dr. Donahue, he zeroes in on the shift in the medical examiner's opinion. Your initial analysis of target to muzzle distance was three to four feet. That's correct. Based on the wounds that you saw. That's correct. That's a big difference in analyzing a case from inches. Yes. Bob Rubin then calls attention to a detail in Dr. Donahue's report that would later be picked up by Greg McMichael's attorney, Laura Hogue, in her closing statement. Um, in examining his body, did you note that his toenails were very long and dirty? I did. Hogue's reference to that detail would make her a lightning rod of controversy. Rubin next tries to persuade Dr. Donahue that his own assessment of the struggle between Mr. Arbery and Travis McMichael is in line with Rubin's assertion that Mr. Arbery had already grabbed McMichael's shotgun and McMichael only fired after pulling it back from Mr. Arbery's grasp. Didn't you state that the 25-year-old black male Ahmad Arbery died of multiple shotgun wounds sustained during a struggle for a shotgun? Yes. Okay. So you were aware at the time you wrote the report that there was a struggle over a gun? Yes. You were aware, were you not, that Mr. Arbery, in fact, had his hand on the shotgun? Well, if there was a struggle, uh, I guess he did. I, I, you know, I didn't have any video of, of the incident. Okay. And the video wouldn't change that. You saw, in fact, in the video and in the frame-by-frame, -frame, a struggle over the gun. Right. You saw in the frame-by-frame frame that Mr. Arbery had his hand on the shotgun, correct? 
Yes. You saw in the video and in the frame by frame that even with the wound to the wrist, Mr. Arbery was able to swing punches and hit Travis McMichael. Yes. Nothing about the owner artery. Yes. Okay. Nothing about that wound, the blood spurting, or um, uh, any other damage to the tissue prevented Mr. Arbery from holding the gun with one hand and swinging and hitting Mr. McMichael with the other hand. That's correct. So you're doing your best to give opinions, but you really couldn't see. Well, I, I, I know the, the location of the wound and I know that it bled. And, okay. and, uh, so when you, you do see the wound to the wrist, it's, it's already to the left of the truck as we're facing. Well, I, I don't know that I ever, all I see is the blood coming from the wound <laughs> of the wrist. Right. And I mean, that's what informed you was the blood. Right. The arterial yeah. spur. Yes. Okay. My question is, <clears throat> is it consistent with the wrist wound for Mr. Arbery to have grabbed the gun and the gun been pulled back by Mr. McMichael when it was fired? It, that's possible. That would have explained both the injury to the wrist and the injury, the close contact or near contact or three inch wound or yeah. a distance. Allow room for the wrist and we're right. a couple inches. Yeah. Okay. Finally, Reuben uses Dr. Donahue's testimony to rebut any thought that the defendants could have done something to help Mr. Arbery as he was bleeding out in the street. You testified that there was nothing that could be done on scene that could save Mr. Arbery's life. Is that correct? I think that's correct, yes. The phrase you used when you talked to us in March is, he was essentially dead before he hit the ground. Yes. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of the state of Georgia's case against Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracom. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial Audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty the killing of Ahmad Arbery.